0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. We're so happy to have you here today. My name is Gretchen Riel, and I am the president of the Board of Trustees, First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Um, I use she, her pronouns. We're so glad that you're here to help us celebrate this very joyful occasion of installing Chris after quite a year. (laughs) Um, I especially want to welcome visiting clergy and Chris's family and friends. So thank you for coming. We're really happy to have you join us. We're glad you're here. We strive to be a welcoming congregation where everyone can nurse souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. I also want to wish a very special thank you to the search committee. This committee put in countless hours on the very thorough process that the UUA recommends for finding a settled minister. They did a standout job, and it wasn't easy. Um, I... I'm gonna read their names, and I would ask if you're here to please stand when I call your name. Uh, Susan Thompson was the chair. Carolyn Breminger. <laughs> Tomas Medina. I think he's in House and Hall prepping. Peggy Morton, I saw Peggy. <laughs> Celeste Padilla. <laughs> Tom Schindel. I saw Tom. And Biss Thornton. Biss, is this here? Okay. We thank you for your hard work and dedication. I am now going to turn it over to Natalie Briscoe.
1: Hello and good afternoon. My name is Natalie Briscoe. I use she/her pronouns. I am also a local to you, Austin. I live right around the corner. And I am the lead for the southern region of your Unitarian Universalist Association. It is a great pleasure and a privilege to be with you here on this wonderful occasion, the installation of Reverend Chris Jimmerson. Just as an individual joins a congregation to amplify their values in the world, so do congregations join their association to be in larger conversation about what the co-creation of Unitarian Universalism is. Congregations in the association are sovereign governing bodies unto themselves and can call whomever they want as their minister, However, they do enter into covenantal relationship with each other to bring more love, hope, joy, courage, and justice into the world. It is that association, the one that First Austin is a part of, that employs me. And I am a physical manifestation of the covenants that that are held between congregations, charged with the task of going between and among those congregations, so that they might see themselves and feel the bonds that connect them. It is in this spirit today that I join you, and I hope when you see me, you see all of your sibling congregations throughout Texas, throughout the South, throughout the United States, and throughout the world. Now, many, many, many moons ago when I met Reverend Chris, while he was an intern at the congregation where I was doing an extended conflict process, I remember thinking, oh wow, I hope this gentle and kind minister doesn't get chewed on too much in the process of all these ministries that are sure to come. And it turns out that Chris is not only gentle and kind, but also strong and resilient and forward-thinking and creative and flexible. (laughs) And sometimes when a minister is installed as the lead minister or senior minister or solo minister in a congregation, It can feel like a lonely place to be. It can feel like a lot falls on your shoulders, like you are the sole expert for literally hundreds of people, like you have to know it all, all the time. And part of Chris's success in leadership and ministry has been the knowledge of how to be a good teammate not only have you proven that being an instrumental part of a growing and strong ministry team at First Austin, but you're also a good, solid colleague to all of those in the cluster, the great state of Texas, and the Southwestern Conference, and also to UUs nationwide through a strong relationship with your association, meaning me. So, Chris, as you take on this new role, I hope that today I extend to you not just greetings from the U.S. throughout the South and the U.S. and the world, but of our distinct partnership in continuing and growing the success of your ministry and the ministry of this congregation. I hope you feel held. I hope you feel loved. I hope you feel celebrated. And it is indeed with great joy that I say congratulations to you, Reverend Chris, to you, First Austin, and to the SEARCH team, on this wonderful beginning of a new, but not new, new, ministry. Blessings for the next several decades, and, and blessings on your new team.
0: I'm Reverend Nell Newton. I use she, her pronouns, and I bring greetings from the First Unitarian Universalist Church of San Antonio. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation.
2: Hello and welcome. My name is Kathleen Ellis, and I use my name or she, her pronouns, as you wish. Before we actually enter into worship, I have a couple of words. I mean, I've got the pulpit. (laughs) Chris is still living the dream, his dream of becoming a minister. He has worked his perfectionism to the bone to be here as senior minister, but perfection does not mean perfect in real life. Humans are not gods after all, but together we can dream up and work toward a future more and more worthy of the mission that Gretchen read. In a perfect world, we would already be there. Now it's an aspiration, an inspiration, and a guide toward realizing our best potential. As we mark this occasion with joy and celebration, let us also offer our heartfelt prayers for this ministry and this dream. I invite you to pray with me. Spirit of life, God of many names and mystery beyond all understanding, Make your presence known to Chris. Surround him with a sense of peace, no matter what swirls around him. Remind him to attend to his spiritual life, to nurture his marriage and extended family, to connect with friends, mentors, and colleagues, and to take time away. Let us, individually and together, both give him the time and space he needs and work with him to build the world of our dreams. We are more together than any of us can be alone. Spirit of life, may Chris be grounded in your grace. May he be centered in your peace. And most of all, may he be enfolded in your love as he steps out to serve in the world. Amina, shalom, and blessings to you all. Come, let us worship together.
3: Some of you may remember that I am Jonalu Johnstone. She, her, truly retired now.
4: <laughs>
3: I offer this reading selected by Chris that is written by Nancy Schaefer. Because she wanted everyone to feel included in her prayer, she said right at the beginning several names for the holy Spirit, she said, holy one, mystery, God. But then thinking these weren't enough ways of addressing that which cannot be fully addressed, she added particularities, saying, spirit of life, spirit of love, ancient holy one, mystery we will not ever fully know. Gracious God, and also spirit of this earth, God of Sarah. Gaia, thou. And then tongue loosened. She fell to naming superlatives as well. Most creative one, greatest source, closest hope. Even though superlatives for the sacred seemed to her probably redundant. But then she couldn't stop. One who made the stars, she said, although she knew technically a number of those present didn't believe the stars had been made by anyone or anything, but just luckily happened. (laughs) One who is an entire ocean of compassion, she said, and no one laughed. That which has been present since before the beginning, she said, And the room was silent. Then, although she hadn't imagined it this way, others began to offer names. Peace, said one. One my mother knew, said another. Ancestor, said a third. Wind. Rain. Breath. Said one near the back. Refuge. That which holds all. A child said, Water. Someone said, Kuan Yin. Then, Womb. Witness. Great kindness. Great eagle. Eternal stillness. And then there wasn't any need to say the things she'd thought would be important to say. And everyone sat hushed until someone said, Amen.
5: Please find a comfortable place to be. Place your feet as flat and as close to the ground as you can. Close your eyes, if you will, and take a deep breath in as we join together in a spirit of prayer and of stillness. Great Spirit, Holy One, Mystery, God, Spirit of this earth, Gaia, most creative one. Spirit of kindness and compassion and of love. One who made the stars, who has been present since before the beginning. Greatest source, closest hope, one my mother knew that which holds all, eternal stillness, breath, Yah. We come together in a spirit of joy and celebration. This day that we have been waiting for and working toward has finally arrived. One who has been called to the ministry of love and justice, and into your service is before you, before all of us now. The Reverend Christopher James Jimerson. May his ministry be blessed, blessed with love, joy, creativity, laughter, hope, solace, comfort, goodness, peace, and justice. We call on you, great mystery, to bring these blessings forth through your spirit of inspiration. In the name of all that is holy, we pray. May it be so. Amen. And blessed be.
6: the shadow, of death. scared and wonder what happens next. Uncertainty, division, anger, and unrest. I still will be questions of what and why and when what is it when it happened in end These are strange and crazy times that we're living in, but I still believe. I believe to my very core We'll walk again in sunshine by the seashore And we'll dance and we'll sing And be happy again Don't know how or when we will again You'll see, I still believe I believe that the day is coming soon where oh, we'll unmask this face of gloom, walk hand in hand and birth on beneath. And I believe there are good deeds to be sown, nurtured with love to make them grow. I believe that faith can heal our bodies, minds, and souls. That's what I have believed. I believe. To my very core We'll walk again in sunshine By the seashore That we'll dance and we'll sing And be happy again Don't know how or when We will again, you'll see That's what I have become hysterical become undone but I believe in miracles and that we'll soon see one and the world will be a better place when all is said and done it's gotta believe I believe in a higher power and in the midst of our darkest hour, there's a light so bright It can melt away, hate and greed That's what I
7: believe Nine years ago, I stood, I think, in this same pulpit, but in a slightly different room, maybe half the size, for the sermon, for the ordination of Chris Jemerson. My name is Nicole Kirk, she, her, hers, and it is a joy to be with you this afternoon. Carl Scovel, the longtime and now retired minister of King's Chapel in Boston, once told a story about his daughter Faith when she was five years old. They were planning a garden, and Faith had just finished eating a juicy peach. And she turned to her dad with that peach pit and said, Daddy, I want to plant this. Now, Carl remembers looking doubtfully at the pit, and with the wisdom born of many disappointments, he said to her, Well, you can plant that honey if you want to, but you know it probably won't come up. After all, a single pit is unlikely to produce a healthy peach tree and making it even more challenging is that they lived in Massachusetts (laughs) where only the hardiest of peach trees could grow, especially some three or so decades ago. But Carl's daughter would not be dissuaded. Remember, she's about five years old and Faith told her father, Only the way that a small child can, but I want to plant it. (laughs) So Carl agreed to plant the peach pit in the backyard, and he cautioned his daughter, as any good parent might, that even though they're planting this peach pit, they would likely never produce a tree. And when this happened, he told her, Remember what I said. The tree probably won't come up. One Saturday afternoon, 20 years later, Carl and his family picked up 427 peaches (laughs) beneath the tree that sprang from that single peach pit and that had grown to shade a large portion of their backyard. And as he looked up at the tree, he realized that there is probably another 427 peaches up there. Now, he admitted that they weren't much to eat, but the church sexton made a decent jam out of them. And reflecting on that harvest, Carl said, So much for the wisdom born of disappointment. (laughs) Now, for over two decades, I have been telling this story that Carl Sobel first told on the radio pulpit, a radio program that he did for Keith Chapel. It's a story i
2: come back to again and
7: again, and I've been thinking a lot about that now. It's the 25th year anniversary of my ordination, and I've been thinking about that story and that meaning, both myself, but in this moment, for all of you, First Church Austin. It's a story about experimentation, trying something new, even when you think it's probably not going to turn out. It's a story about a child's curiosity, wanting to try something new and exciting, something connected to them. It's a story about hope, planting something and waiting. It's a story about abundance. Now, abundance... I don't think this mic was working a second ago. It wasn't. Oh, no. I hope everyone could hear me. Abundance is a tricky concept for a Unitarian Universalist. Let's just say that. Talking about abundance can make us uncomfortable. A lot of times when we do talk about it, it's around money. I'm not going to ask you about money. Someone else is doing that today. It makes us uncomfortable because... Abundance is frequently equated with privilege, with getting an extra helping hand while others are not, with having too much, more than enough, an extravagant amount over the top. Talk of abundance sounds like another way of saying the world is doing okay, and it is most certainly not. However, to limit abundance to the idea of having too much money or status or material goods is an economic definition and even a sociopolitical definition that robs its power to remind us of one of the things or some of the things we need to be paying attention to. It lives in our lives and communities. Abundance is a theological concept. For how else do we speak of love and hope and gratitude? How do we speak about the work for justice without abundance? Abundance helps us to be open to those unexpected moments that we did not make happen. Grace, some of us call it. It's holding open our hearts and our minds to possibilities we have not yet dreamed, and to try new things. Abundance demands that we do not live in the stories of the past. Rather, it invites us to be makers of the future, to try new things, to try again and again in the face of failure and disappointment, anger and fear, It makes another way out of no way. It is the path for thriving religious communities helping us to work and create and be open to what James Baldwin called a more just, connected, and humane world. Let there be no doubt that abundance is also a paradoxical concept, like most religious truths. It takes on a different view of the world. Tracy Lynn, the former dean of Trinity Cathedral of Cleveland, reminds us in her book, Interrupted by God, Glimpses from the Edge, that much of life-giving truth is about transforming contradiction into paradox. Like water into wine, brokenness into wholeness, scarcity into abundance, the last into the first, and death into life. Paradox makes sense of things that don't make sense and hold divergent things in tension. Turning contradiction into paradox is choosing the both and instead of the either or. Seeing shades of gray or multicolors instead of sharp contrasts. But the talk on the streets, on the news, in the air, is talk of scarcity. These stories say there is not enough room at the table in this country, at the voting polls, not a place for women and people to make decisions about their bodies, not enough profit for better wages, not a place for particular people singled out by race, ethnicity, gender, and sexuality, They tell us over and over, there is no room at the inn. Protecting one group of people and a way of living at the cost of other people. It's not only unjust, among other things, it is a scarcity perspective. And scarcity shows up in subtler ways, too, in, dare I say, perfectionism. That locks us into one particular understanding of how to do things and do them well and holding on to stories about the past so tightly that there is no room for the present, let alone making the future. And scientist and member of the Potawatomi Nation, Robin Wall Kemmerer, reminds us that abundance is intertwined with gratitude. She writes, Recognizing abundance... Rather than scarcity undermines an economy that thrives by creating unmet desires. And yet, we need only open our senses to the world around us to see, to hear, to feel, to sense that the world does, that nature teaches us a different message, and it is one of abundance. We often overlook the abundance and its commonness, or that we see the abundance not as something to be shared and nurtured, but rather to be taken, to be used up, to be drained without replenishment. Transcendentalist Ralph Waldo Emerson gives us a clear example of this in his essay, Nature from 1836 when he observes how humanity often treats the stars in the night sky. He wrote, See in the streets of the cities how great they are. If the stars would appear one night in a thousand years, how would humanity believe and adore and preserve for many generations the remembrance of the city of God, which he had shown? But every night... Every night comes these envoys of beauty and light the universe with their admonishing smile. Or scientist Hope Jarin. In her marvelous memoir, Lab Girl, she describes another way we miss the abundance all around us. When we enter the woods, our natural tendency is to look up, especially if you're a birder, but others too, to look up at the glorious crowns of the leaves and the branches, stretching out the sturdy bark, the birds, the wildlife living above. And what we miss is literally under our feet, our wheels, right underneath us on the forest floor. She writes, when you go into the forest, you probably don't look down where just beneath your single footprint sits hundreds of seeds, each one alive and waiting. It sounds almost easy to focus on abundance. Just look around more, listen more, list out what you're grateful for, discover abundance all around us, and yet it is one of the hardest things that we do. In part, recognizing abundance... Calls us to be vulnerable. Researcher and professor Brene Brown explains that as we grow older, we become tougher, and in that toughness, we lose our vulnerability the hurts and betrayals the surprises are very real fears reliving unpleasant and traumatizing experiences over time we begin to build a pretty amazing shell it's a hard shell and it keeps people and relationships and sharing our hearts and worries at bay or at least it tries to it's not always successful let me tell you We hide in our shells and we display our shells in our daily interactions. And while that shell can protect us, or at least seem to do so, it can also be a way that we never do the work that we need to do ourselves for one another, for those we have yet to build relationships with. We lose something along the way. And so when we're called to community, we can't quite take in that abundance. Brene Brown tells us not to puff up or shrink down, but to stand on our own holy ground. I would change that to be, to place ourselves on our own holy ground. To be vulnerable, to share, to connect, it is one of the hardest parts of life. And in human communities and in religious communities, abundance develops when we work together when we nourish our spirits, where we grow our spirits and minds and develop deeper connections with others, where we notice one another. When we ask how you are, when we care so deeply, it's learning our history and not to cherish it, but to learn how we can do better. It is connecting with those who do not sound or look like us or have backgrounds that are remotely similar. It is living in abundance also with your new lead minister, one who is well known to you, but there is still more possibility as he moves into a new role, as he discovers with you together your abundance that is all around you and to carry this congregation into the future. And so some of it is trying what we've done before, but in new ways. Naming that abundance, naming that gratitude together. And shaking off or putting down what's gone before. Many years ago, Dr. Rachel Naomi Raymond, who served as a clinical professor of family and community medicine at the University of California, and the author of the beloved book, among others, Kitchen Table Wisdom, shared in an interview the work she did with a group of doctors who met regularly. As she describes it, to recover from training their training as doctors. Yeah. To recover from the hyper scientific training to become more relationship focused in their medical practices using a discovery model Raymond invited doctors to drop in an evening group and talk about the practice of medicine with topics like compassion suffering listening Now the price of admission was that each doctor had to lead one of the sessions. They had to bring a story from their personal life. They had to talk about their professional life. They had to bring something from the world of literature or poetry, an exercise to help people explore the evening's topic more deeply. And so it was during a session on listening, an oncologist brought a shopping bag with 12 stethoscopes. She had borrowed for the evening session. Now the doctor gave each of the other doctors in the room the stethoscope and said, now let's listen to our hearts for nine minutes. Now, if you've ever done meditation for one or two minutes, nine minutes. Raymond describes the scene. So we start listening to our hearts and we are middle-aged doctors. So for the first few minutes, you can see that everyone is diagnosing themselves. <laughs> is that a weak valve? Is the rhythm right? But nine minutes is a long time and we all went beyond this self-diagnosing and found something ineffable. An experience, a profound mystery. Two cardiologists were in the room and both were blown away. So were we all. Raymond recalled, it felt like she had never heard a heart before. She said, I had osculated thousands of hearts, but I had never heard a heart like this. She reflected, it was so moving, very, very moving. Talk about an experience of reverence and awe. The doctors were transformed. They thought they had knew how to listen to a heart, and what a heart sounded like, but on that day, their perspective shifted. They learned not only how to listen to the heart in a new way, but they learned and returned to the wonder, mystery, reverence and awe of the human heart. The abundance is everywhere in the sound of the beat in your chest, in the work of this congregation, in your own spiritual lives, and in the spiritual practice of this community. Oh yes, that afternoon as Carl Scovel picked up hundreds of peaches, he learned the sacred lesson of abundance. And often it takes abundance strewn with generous hand to make abundance or in this case given into the request of a child who is curious about a small peach pit and its possibilities. Carl Scoville says to us all, sow a peach pit and reap 427 peaches for canning, compost and a sacred lesson about making room for what is possible. The harvest that comes may not be the one you expect, but it might be the one you need.
0: Blessed be and amen. No right is more precious to a free congregation than that of choosing its own minister. By the same token... No right is more precious to a Unitarian Universalist minister than that of choosing the congregation they will serve. This is fundamental to our sacred tradition of shared leadership. It is with profound feeling, therefore, that we formally recognize the covenantal relationship now existing between the people of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin and the Reverend Chris Jimerson, whom we have freely chosen and who has freely chosen us. Our choice is based not only on heritage, but also on the hopes and aspirations we have for the future. This service symbolizes our dedication to new efforts. We affirm by this act the goals towards which we strive and the ideals by which we are sustained and strengthened. Will the members of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin please rise and join me in the following words. And Chris, would you come up? I should have asked Chris up first. Sorry. We cherish our church for its historic achievements and for its dedication to our living tradition in which revelation is ever unfolding. We celebrate its devotion to freedom and its commitment to building the beloved community. We, the members of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, do hereby install you, Reverend Chris Jimerson, As our settled minister. For our part, we pledge to walk with you in the ways of truth, justice, and the spirit of love. We offer you a free pulpit, the cooperation of our hearts and hands, and our resolute goodwill as you take up your new path among us.
8: With joy and a deep sense of responsibility and with gratitude for your confidence, I take up the ministry to which you have called me. I pledge to maintain the freedom of the pulpit, to speak truth in love, and to fulfill the many duties of ministry. Above all, I will cherish and cultivate the ways of love, justice, spiritual nourishment, and growth, working with you toward transformation within these church walls and beyond them. I humbly and joyfully accept your offer of covenantal relationship and shared ministry.
0: Will all who have not yet risen, colleagues, family, and friends, please rise in spirit or in body to bear witness to this act of installation? We do hereby affirm this installation and this ministry. May congregation and minister both be blessed with strength and wisdom in the years of holy work ahead. You may be seated.
2: Um,
0: As is customary, the congregation has a gift for Chris. Susan Thompson, would you
9: please join me? My pronouns are she, her. I have the honor of helping with the presentation of our congregation's gift to Reverend Chris. But first, I want to thank the board transition committee for their hard work. The support and assistance they provided to the search committee in helping the congregation understand the search process, which is not an easy one, helped make our celebration today possible. So, thank you to Donna Carpenter, uh, chair of the transition committee, and Kelly Raley and Russell Holly Hurt. So, thank you. And thanks also to Gretchen, who moved up suddenly to serve as board president only weeks before the congregational vote. (laughs) In selecting a gift from the congregation, we are carrying on a tradition that goes back at least 12 years to Reverend Meg's installation, in which the chair of the search committee asked a member of the board to help with this task. This year, Donna volunteered to help, so thanks to Donna, too. We chose the same fabric artist who made the stove for Reverend Meg's installation to design and create our gift for Reverend Chris. And may I point out that Reverend Meg is wearing the stole that we gave her 12 years ago. So, see, okay, so let me explain a little bit about the stove. So, photography is one of Reverend Chris's many talents. In particular, nature photography is a spiritual practice. This stole has images from his collection of nature photographs he has taken over the years. <laughs> a white egret uh, on the lower right side, they have grasses on the left, um, and colors shifting from ground to sky, from sunrise to sunset, reflecting Reverend Chris's appreciation for process theology and the sense of awe and wonder he finds in the natural world. You can find these photos as well as many of his other lovely photographs of nature on his website. Reverend Chris, we give this stole to you with much love and gratitude and joy that you are our settled minister.
10: Hello, I'm Reverend Joanna Fontaine Crawford, she, her. I am your neighbor to the north. I'm the minister of Live Oak UU Church in Cedar Park. And Chris, it is such an amazing honor to be able to give you the charge to this new step of your ministry. So, Chris, you have already been doing ministry here. Reverend Christopher James Jimerson. You've been doing some amazing ministry, but there are three things that I hope you will consider as you go into this new phase. The first is to nurture your creativity. You are one of the most creative people who I know, and especially you are such an amazingly creative thinker. Whether it is theology or liturgy or the arts that you turn to or simply All of the strategy and the planning, you don't just think outside the box. You throw away the box. (laughs) Like, problem solving, you are an art with problem solving. Like, this is your medium rather than oils or sculpture. And creativity can be limitless if you refill it. You have to nurture your creativity. So do the things that bring you renewal. And I've learned the hard way that rest and renewal are two different things, right? You need rest too. (laughs) But all of the things that bring you renewal, I know that nature is a huge part of it. Go out into nature, climb the mountains, do the hiking, or just sit in a place that fills you with awe Take your camera. Make sure that you are making this a priority because creativity is such a deep part of you. You're going to have to constantly be refilling it. So take those days off. Take your study leave. Take your vacation. Take sabbatical. You've scheduled your sabbatical now? I have. (laughs) Take your sabbatical. All of it. And renew that creativity. Second thing, bring jazz into your ministry. Here's the thing. Jazz is all about improvisation. Doing ministry at this time, we have to turn to improvisation. I don't know about you, but a whole lot of those books that I have about how to do church, well, I had to throw them away during the pandemic because they really weren't very helpful. We're doing religion, liberal religion, in a post-lockdown, fighting fascism world. And that's going to take a lot of creativity. And us, like that would be enough. We're doing it in Texas. (laughs) Luckily for everybody else, we were born and raised in Texas. (laughs) We know the terrain. So bring some jazz into what you do. I think you're already doing that, but continue to make it a priority. Make sure your folks know that with improvisation, it means taking a lot of risks. Make, I was going to say make sure they know. I'll, I'll go tell them right, okay. right now, okay? okay. Failure is not an option. Failure is a certainty. (laughs) If we are risking enough, if you are using all of that creativity to try new things, there's going to be some failures along the way. But those of you who listen to jazz know what, like, what do they say about jazz? There are no... Right. Collaboration is a big part of jazz, and what happens is when we have those things that we think are failures, someone else takes that note and does something with it, and you've got some amazing collaborators here. Last thing, embrace joy. I'm kind of cheating because this is actually part of Live Oak's mission. But right now, I think this is something we all... This is going to be a hard year. All of us need to be embracing joy. You've got some amazing kids and youth in your congregation. And I know because we meet and he brags all about them. Kids and youth and those who are young at heart are great for teaching us about joy. I was talking to our religious educator, and we were laughing about the fact that whenever we meet with our kids to start some kind of a new project, there are always three things that they bring up, and those three things are all elements of joy. Now, those of you who are children or youth or young at heart, please say give me an amen if you hear something that resonates with you three elements of joy one food Amen. break bread with your people and figuratively speaking let them feed you as you feed them number two fun Amen. make sure you're doing you're having lots of fun the things that are fun to you bring it into your ministry cuz not many people get to do that, right? But we do. And what's fun for you, I bet a lot of people, that's going to resonate for them too. But make fun a priority, especially this next year. We're going to be having to do so many things. And it's not just that we are ministers in Texas. We're ministers in the Austin area, which means that we have the opportunity to run down to the Capitol every time we get a phone call at all the people who are trying to hurt our people. But we will remember our sainted Molly Ivins who said, we do all that and we have fun doing it. <laughs> and kids will tell you, friends. Make Make your friends part of what feeds you too, because that's going to be what helps us keep going. Nurture the friendships among the people that you serve. Friendship is so important, and I am so grateful to be your friend. So, Reverend Christopher James Jemerson, I am asking you to focus on creativity, jazz, and joy little mnemonic to help you remember. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Reverend Dr. John Burens could not be here today, but he has sent us a video with the charge to the congregation.
11: Dear friends in Austin, it was my honor last year to consult a bit with your congregation as you began the discernment process that has today resulted in your decision to install Chris Jemerson as your senior minister. As I warned then, inevitably there were going to be some people who thought, there have to be other fish in the sea. But as someone who knows both the currents of contemporary Unitarian Universalism, I kept thinking, a la Gershwin, it ain't necessarily so. <laughs> and when you've caught a good one, keep it. And i let me know to a parable from the Sufi tradition of Islam. Four fish were swimming in the ocean, and the youngest said, My elders tell me there's this thing called ocean, but I've never seen it. A somewhat more experienced fish said, That's because we're all in it, boyo. We just take it for granted. Once I washed up on a beach but managed to survive, and now I know that we're not only all in the ocean, it's in us too. A third rather selfish fish remarked, ah, big waves, nasty currents. What has ocean ever done for me? (laughs) Only everything, said the oldest and most wise of the fish. Only everything. And so, say the Sufis, is it with all of us. The divine surrounds us. It's within us. Yet we fail to see it, or hear, or feel how it is best discovered between us. Between the I and thou, as Martin Buber put it. When the eternal thou, which can never be fully expressed but only humbly addressed, emerges in the way we treat one another. But I must also admit that Among the waters that we swim in today, not all are exactly divine. The politics and culture in which we swim, well, they're not only choppy, but perversely polluted and littered with plastic, both literal and metaphorical, polluted by human blindness and greed and selfishness. Late capitalism, as social critic Christopher Lash warned 50 years ago, so subverts our sense of human solidarity and vision that what we swim in then is a culture of narcissism. Now becomes so pervasive that we barely discern its dangers, though we see its surface even in our politics. What is hardest to see is that it can penetrate even us. Liberal religion prides itself, after all, on being open to the currents of culture, both for good and for ill. We've never been inclined like the Amish or the Haradim or the Taliban to reject innovations in culture, technology, and social relations, or wisdom learned from sources not our own. In fact, at our best, we've also been leaders in transforming culture toward those ideals that one of our historians said we had almost substituted for the traditional trinity, namely, Freedom, reason, tolerance. We emerged here in America in an era of revolution, and our Transcendentalist forebears played a catalytic role in seeking freedom for the enslaved, education and dignity for women and the poor, and curiosity about an acceptance of wisdom from other faiths. As National Co-Chair of Freedom to Marry, I got to see us help transform the culture more rapidly than anyone expected around the worth and dignity of LGBT relationships. But my charge to you today, dear friends, is to be aware of how the culture we now swim in can lead to each of our three great ideals becoming somewhat idolatrous. That is, when we worship the transient part and not the enduring whole. Freedom then becomes mere freedom from, from taking seriously challenges to a hierarchical culture of white male supremacy that's too often taken for granted. Reason becomes better living through rationalization, now the unspoken mantra of our corporate culture and in all too many corridors of power. And as for tolerance, well, let's just say that the challenge for us is to recognize that there is no virtue in tolerating the intolerant even in our own midst. This is what Me Too is all about. Black lives matter. The awareness of microaggressions like microplastics in the ocean also matter. But let me end with this. The world was never perfect. Even in Genesis, God is said to have only called it good. <laughs> and it was always evolving and so are we both trying to be and to survive and also become, if only for the sake of those who will follow us, what we aspire to be. Our congregations, our ministers were also never perfect, however much we may reverence past spiritual leaders. So I charge you not to hold Chris to some idolatrous idea derived from the past, nor stake him out to some impossible vision of the future. We are all in this together. Our covenantal relations truly matter. They are the promises we make to keep faith with one another. Rather than coming from the ocean, that concept of covenant seems to come out of the dry lands of the desert. And maybe inland at Austin, a more land-based metaphor like that should be taken to heart. I learned this one from my late beloved colleague in ministry, Rob Eller Isaacs, who took it from another commentary about the somewhat narcissistic 70s. We're all just bozos on the bus, Rob would say. Therefore, let's admit as much and continue to drive it like the freedom rides of the 60s into a challenging future. Grateful that you've got someone at the wheel, as gifted and as devoted as the man you install as your minister today. Go in peace and faith and courage, amen.
5: It is my honor and my joy to begin uh, first by inviting your Minister Emerita, the Reverend Meg Barnhouse, to come and join me on the chancel, along with the Reverend Kaya Hartwood for a very special musical selection I think you'll all recognize. And following them, I would like to invite the rest of Chris, Chris and the rest of Chris's colleagues, to come up and circle behind him right up here on the chancel.
4: He said Julian, you're holy, you are holding my hand, and Julian. You are holy, you are holding my hand She said, all will be well All will be well All manner of things Will be well And I said, Julian, do you not know Do you not know about sorrow And Julian, do you not know do you not know about pain? And I said, Julian, do you not know, do you not know about hunger? And Julian, do you not know, do you not know about shame? She said, all will be well, all will be well, all man. And I said, Julian, do you not know, do you not know about loneliness? And Julian, do you not know, do you not know about disease? And I said, Julian, do you not know, do you not know about cruelty? I said, Julian, it's too much. It's brought me to my knees. But she said, all will be well. All will be well. All. not know, does not know about sorrow, Maggie. No one does not know, does not know about pain. And she said, no one does not know, does not know about hunger. And no one does not know, does not know about shame. She said, all will be well, all will be well. Does not know, does not know about loneliness, and no one does not know, does not know about disease. She said no one does not know, does not know about cruelty, she said I know it's too much. It brought me to my knees where I heard all will be well, all will be well, all Thank you for singing with
10: me. I'm the Reverend Lee Legault, your affiliated community minister, and I bring greetings from my interfaith chaplain colleagues at the Ascension Medical Center of Austin. Please join me in saying our chalice-extinguishing words. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Amen.
8: A benediction is a bestowing of a blessing. So quickly, I want to share with you some folks that are such a blessing to me and to this church. Could the staff members of the church come forward today right up here with me? Except those that are back there running my microphone in the video. (laughs) I invite you all to stand or at least wave so we can acknowledge you also. I want to share with you what a blessing these folks are, all of our staff truly are. They make doing ministry at First UU Austin possible. So please join me in offering all blessings to all of our First UU staff. Now, I'll leave you with a poem that I wrote that was read when this church ordained me into the UU ministry almost exactly nine years ago today. But back then, I didn't get to read it myself, so I'm going to do so now. (laughs) It is titled, Blessed. In moonlit shadows, at the edge of night-darkened oak trees, I sense it. Across sunny pathways and the buzzing of insects amongst the flowering forest greenery, I feel it. From the touch of one's loved, the embraces of those gone before me, I am immersed within it. In the poems I love dearly, the songs that speak to my heart, the sculpture that captures my imagination, the discoveries yet to be made, I am moved by it. It is in the fire of distant suns, the cool drip of waters, the slight chill in the breeze the laughter of children no matter what their age grown or still small it is the breath of life the stardust of souls the magic of remembrance who am I not to surrender to it in gratitude who am I not to be blessed. May the congregation say amen Amen. and blessed be. be. I wish you much peace. I send you much love. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.com dot O-R-G